0: Hello and welcome to our Maritime Impact podcast series. I'm your host Eric Nyhus, Director Environment for Maritime at DB. Efforts to decarbonize the shipping industry continue apace. In this third series, we have been exploring how the decisions taken by the IMO and other regional authorities aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions will impact the maritime sector. In this final episode of the series, we'll be taking a look at an area that is said to be crucial in the industry's journey to decarbonization, alternative fuels. To do this we'll take a closer look at the container segment, which has seen a significant growth in the uptake of alternative fuels in recent years. I'll be joined by DNB's Business Director for Containers, Jan-Olaf Probst, to explore the specific challenges and current trends impacting these vessels. For example, How has the sector been affected by EEXI and CII regulations and which alternative fuels have emerged as frontrunners for container ships? We hope you enjoy the episode and now on to the show. Jan-Olaf, thank you for joining me today. Uh, The container ship new building market has really been active in the uptake of alternative fuels throughout 2021. And this is a trend that has continued into 2022
1: Could you explain why we're seeing this in this particular segment? Hello, Eric. At first, glad to be here. And yes, why are we seeing it in the container business? Container ship owners are quite serious to operate the vessel minimum for 20 years. And this without any further investment in regard of modification, changes, and so on. And last years we have seen that a lot of ship owners have invested in large vessels, say 15,000 up to 24,000, and there they have a quite large fuel consumption. And it has been seen that already with HFO they will not be able to be compliant for this time frame of over 20 years. Therefore, they have already decided then to go for an alternative fuel In end of last year, we have seen a shift a little bit for um, a size of 7000, same like in this year. And there you could say there is a kind of break even already to go for HFO or for an alternative fuel like LNG, to be safe for a long time operation. So in this regard, uh, even by using, for example, LNG, it's not only a matter of to be compliant for future regulation, you would have even a payback, because in a normal way LNG is cheaper than HFO after something about 8 years.
0: Right, now needless to say, you alluded to up to 20,000 TEUs. These are large vessels, I mean these are massive ships. Uh, So what do you see as the main challenges for these uh, in applying alternative fuels? The sheer size of it must make it some aspects
1: of this quite in- intricate to deal with. So if you are not only focused on on, on large vessels, in general, you could say that container ships needs always more fuel compared to other ship types, like, for example, a bike carrier uh, or a tanker. This is by two reasons. Um, the distance which they are traveling is longer, and they usually do not want to bunker uh, at each port, usually they have a large round trip to save time in port and just have cargo handling. In this regard, the first aspect for a container ship is the amount of fuel what you would like to have on board due to the long distance traveling. Therefore, you're coming at one-to-one what kind of tank system you are using, because this takes space. Uh, And space is something where you would like to have cargo on your vessel, and if you enlarge Of course, your tank system and the amount of fuel, you have more boil-off gas. And this you have to handle on board as well. Uh, But you have consumer, like the generator, because even the ship uh, needs electrical power for reefer container, for example. Therefore, boil-off gas handling is something else. And then we're coming uh, to a kind of iteration loop in the design, because the main question is, where, where is your bunker infrastructure? Do you have maybe one-time bunkering uh, by a round-trip, or if you could bunker twice? If you have only the facility to go once, then of course your tank must be enlarged. So therefore a ship owner is a kind of iteration to find the right solution about how much fuel I have on board in regard of this kind of tank system, boil of gas, and then how often to bunker. Given these, these intricacies and also taking into account the fact that we
0: do know that at least most alternative fuels have a larger volumetric footprint than conventional heavy fuel oil um, do, do you see one alternative fuel becoming the leading option or are we looking at a kind of landscape where a thousand alternative fuel flowers might
1: bloom? Um, I, actually there will be not one fuel and it will be now debated where are you operating So and there we maybe come back to large vessels, for example trading from Far East to Europe or from Far East over to US, over the Pacific. There in this moment you could see a trend for LNG because that is the most suitable fuel what you could purchase in a large volume. If you are going, for example, in the European area, there you could see a trend for methanol. And even there, some ship owners saying, okay, I start with grey methanol, and then hopefully all they are trying to purchase it already now to have in five years a uh, green methanol. And then they do not have to change anything on their vessel, they just bunker the green ones. So in this regard, we would say, uh, yes, you will decide for one fuel, but a lot of ship owner would like to have one fuel only on board of the vessel, so that they are looking, as we described it just before, with methanol, that they're starting with grey uh, and then switching over to maybe blue and green part. And the same, a lot of ship owner would like to do it for LNG as well. And therefore, uh, if you have seen in the history of the container ship market, you had this so-called cascading effect. What is the meaning of this one? New vessels have been always employed on the Far East Europe trade because that was a long distance and a new vessel is efficient. Therefore, you were taking it for the long distance, less fuel consumption. And then you took this older vessel, which was smaller, to another trade, usually to the Pacific one. And then the older vessel from the Pacific, you have taken it for local trading. This time, is not given any longer, because there was a certain period of time where no ships in the size of 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 have been built. So there is a vacuum, what you would call it. And due to this one, nowadays we see more specific built ships for a certain trade. And this is then coupled with the fuel. And at present you could say we see LNG, we see methanol, we see even a trend that a lot of persons would like already to be ammonia-ready, but knowing that this could be only a ready because uh, no main engine is be able to, to buy and to install in a vessel at present.
0: Right. So, I mean, we're looking at an intricate landscape here where, where we have the commercial factors, we have the technology developments all uh, interacting. But we also, of course, have the regulatory aspect here where, where container vessels have really been subject also to plenty of regulations in recent times. And how, how do you see the segment itself being directly affected by the decisions being made by key regulators?
1: In this regard, to be honest, um, the EEDI and EAXI Some owner would say it's already the past. They have done their homework. Uh, New purchase vessels are easily uh, 10 to 15% below uh, the EEDI requirement. Um, EEXI, some vessels had to make some derating of the main engine, but that was all. And the derating will have not a huge impact in operating of the vessel. So therefore, I would say, make a tick box and say, it's, it's done. Uh, much more serious is the CII calculation. And there we could see two main aspects. A lot of ship owners already are asking, could you calculate a prediction of the CII rating for different fuels? And we're coming back to your first question, because they would like to operate 20 years, with, hopefully without changes. And in this regard, we could hear clearly that the ship owner are not really happy that the CRI regulations are only in place up to 26. This is far too short, because if you order today a vessel, you will receive it maybe end of 24, beginning of 25. That means you are receiving your vessel in the year where the new decision is coming. So a little bit um, there is no way that a proactive ship owner will be able to comply in regulation. He didn't know. The only one, he could make assumptions, and there we are assisting this one. So that is one aspect. The next one is that certain factors are not decided correctly. So you could see, for example, this kind of reduction on weaver cargo, that the fuel consumption, which are be used in the generator, are be uh, deducted from the fuel consumption, and main aspect is it's foodstuff inside, and the next one, the reefer unit are quite often not belonging to the ship owner. He could not influence the performing of this reefer unit. He has it on board and have to feed it with power. And if that is a good reefer unit or not, he has no influence. So therefore it's more correct that this one will be, in the first glance, be reduced. And a second factor, what we could see in the regulation, is that this kind of CO2 factor for biofuel is not decided yet. And especially biofuel would be a really good option for uh, existing ships to reduce their footprint. The community have accepted that this will have no impact on your EEXI. But for the CII... the ship owner would really prefer that this kind of reduction factor will be in place, and and also IMO is maybe supporting that the maritime industry will get sufficient biofuel for existing ships because it's a really good option to reduce the CO2 footprint.
0: I think you've pointed to some really important points about the regulatory uncertainty here, Jan Olof. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, the CII reduction rates that uh, we don't quite know what will be yet from 27 27- onwards, the biofuel issue, the correction factor issues. There are processes, of course, at the IMO where we hope that these will be sorted uh, within the, the not-too-distant future. But uh, I agree, when you're making multi-billion-dollar investments, if you're investing in a large fleet of new builds, these... This is certainly a real headache when it comes to the decisions being made at the board level. Now, uh, on top of this, of course, we do have the uncertainty um, of what's going to be the actual implications and implementation timelines for the mid and long term regulations that are being decided on in 2023, whether it's a market based measure or a fuel greenhouse gas intensity standard or whatnot. Now, given given all this uncertainty, how do you think about alternative-ready concepts or retrofits? Do you see these as real options for the container markets, or uh, are are they something that is not that relevant uh, for for this uh,
1: ship segment? The owner are looking for this one, but it's really not a good option for them. Because there are four main factors if you are building a ship and you would like to be ready for another fuel, for example. It's the main question, is your main engine able to be converted and under which kind of cost factor? Uh, Another aspect is the fuel tanks, because each different fuel has different requirements for the fuel tanks. So um, a HFO tank could not be used for LNG or easy for methanol and not uh, even for ammonia. So that is a point, and this is quite expensive as well. The next question is the generator capacity. And the next one, could the generator even be converted? Quite often a lot of persons are looking only on the main engine. But on container ships, one generator has the size of maybe a medium-sized bulk carrier, of a main engine from a medium-sized bike area. So in this regard, that should not be underestimated that up to a quarter of the total fuel consumption of a container ships are be burned in a generator. So therefore, you need to have a kind of ready concept for this one as well and the large boiler which you have on board. So if you're taking all together, you could say... If you need to change or exchange or convert this one to a different fuel, the cost impact will be minimum 30% more as in a new building stage. And this is of course a factor where you have to make carefully your homework if you want to invest something in a ready concept, are you really be able to use it in a later stage? Or is it wasted money? Uh, investing 3 million more with a hope that you could use it in five years is not really a financial option. So therefore we could see a deviation in certain kind of ready concepts. It needs to be uh, granted that what you are investing could be used. And the next one, what should be not underestimated, you would convert it, your vessel latest at the first dry docking, that means after five years, because otherwise the ship gets too old to have a payback of this high investment. While changing a vessel which is ten years old, then the payback time is not really reliable for a ship owner in his planning. So therefore, if you would start now a vessel running on LNG, then the first obstacle you would have that there is nearly no tank system on the market which could be used in a later stage for ammonia. So even if you say, okay, I could convert my main engine, then the main question is, could I use my tank system? And quite often it comes out, it will not work. So that means after five years, or latest after ten, you would have to totally exchange a tank system which have a design life of 25 years. I think that is not really nice to throw something away which you could use maybe still 15 years. So in this regard, um, that is a really difficult decision regarding um, a ready concept or to retrofit, because if you are able, for example, to convert your main engine and you would switch from HFO to LNG, then it's a question if your generator would, could be even be converted. And that would mean that you have maybe two different fuels on board. Or even if you then calculate that you need even a pilot fuel, you have maybe even three different fuels on board. And this is even a logistic problem. So therefore, the main wish of ship owner is to have one maximum two fuels on board as a primary fuel, uh, therefore all kind of ready concepts is something that they would like to stay with one fuel, but then maybe what we have discussed before, going from grey to green or even maybe later to synthetic fuels. Right. I mean, essentially re-
0: keeping the same molecule, but uh, changing the source of the molecule to more green and sustainable uh, primary source, I guess. Now, um, obviously, I think what you're also pointing to indirectly here is that um, the sheer volume of fuel is an issue which means that whatever uh, kind of fuel you end up using you want to use as little as possible of it and in that context of course um, reducing fuel consumption is really key and that brings us to this topic of energy efficiency. Uh, Have we reached the limits of what can be done with energy efficiency on uh, on this vessel type or are we looking at uh, new technologies or new operational modes or other activities that really can significantly contribute to further Energy efficiency and reduction of fuel consumption
1: on, co- on container vessels. In this regard, we are coming back that container ships are usually uh, have a need of a larger fuel consumption, and reducing fuel means you could save cost, and that has been always in the mind of ship owner, and this is going hand in hand in reduction of emissions. So ship owner of container ships have been always really keen to reduce the fuel consumption. In this regard they have already implemented a lot of fuel saving devices on their vessel um, to control their cost. Therefore the further kind of options what are on the market is quite limited because the most ones are already installed. Wind is always a, a discussion but as up to sixty percent of the cargo will be carried on deck. You are uh, be limited to bring some wind devices on your vessel because then you would lose cargo space, and that is your uh, number one to bring cargo from A to B. In this moment, we must say that this so-called air lubrication system, it's one of the most suitable um, fuel-saving device what could be uh, considered on a container ship, and. In this regard, why we see now a trend to this one? If you would calculate if um, an air lubrication system the influence for an EEDI, then it's academic. It has no impact. For example, on a large vessel you would give a benefit which is equal to something about 500 kW of the main engine reduction. This is nearly nothing. but. For a larger vessel, if you would operate this air lubrication system, you could save close to 10% of your main engine load. And this is really beneficial for the CII. So therefore, we are believing that this kind of system will be installed more and more, but other options have been a little bit more difficult to see. So uh, therefore, there are some main aspects in is there an option to reduce the total power of the uh, vessel itself to, to, for the so called slow steaming? But actually, the most ships are already doing it. So, the most ships are not operating faster than 80 knots. And further reduction, especially by a certain size, say up to 10,000 or starting from 10,000, we have to be careful that um, the vessels have not to be underpowered because we do not want to see on the Pacific or on Atl- Atlantic trade a drifting container vessel at for 10 because the engine is not be able to keep the vessel on course. So, therefore, you could say under a harsh environment an uh, uh, 18,000 TU vessel must be operated minimum at 10 knots. That means in calm water it is roughly like 50 knots. So, therefore, a further drop in the total main engine, it's not really a good aspect. But we see other potentials still today, and that is logistic. And we do not want to make now a finger pointing, or he is guilty, or the owner. And that means this kind of waiting time in front of ports, especially in front of U.S. There, container ships are quite often waiting one week before they are getting a place on the pier for unloading and be loaded. However, they are calculated, or they are counted as arrived in front of the port if they are waiting. So that means they are rushed over the Pacific, going in front of anchoring for one week to get a place on the berth side. Imagine if you would reduce the ship speed uh, by 30% because you have one week more traveling time and arriving in time for your slot on the pier side. How much saving you could have and that is a double digit value. So the large saving could be in the logistic part and especially in getting your uh, place in, inside in the harbour and there we do see a really good high potential on further savings.
0: So what we really want to do is to move, move away for the, from the uh, military approach, the hurry up and wait thinking, to uh, the air, airplane way of operating you know, just in time arrivals. Um, and yeah, it's been talked about for a long time. It seems that it's difficult to achieve in practice. I mean, just looking at the congestion picture and, and the logistics hurdles that we've seen over the last months, it uh, there is certainly some way to go to make that work. But if we could get there, it would be absolutely brilliant, of course. Now, we, we talked a lot about the technology and uh, regulators here. Um, what we also know, of course, is that shipping is about money, shall we say, to a large degree. Um, and so, so there are other stakeholders than just the regulators and the technologists that have a real Im- impact here. So when you start to look at financing organizations such as banks or other sources or, or cargo owners or charters for that matter, how,
1: how do you see these as influencing the market? In this regard, we, we would need to... Um Have a look on each kind of stakeholder on its own. Financing is a key parameter. And this so-called green bound financing uh, has a huge impact. Because if you get your uh, financing much cheaper because you could show that you are investing in a really green ship, then this has a huge benefit. And that means a certain item what you are installing in your vessel on equipment will be paid back due to cheaper financing, if you want to call it, like this one. And we know it because uh, we as DNV are, have carried out this kind of re- verification work for financing houses, and this is a really game changer. So in this regard, we're believing that financing will have a huge impact on this one, and even later for retrofits, because if you're getting a v- easy financing of retrofits, and somebody have verified that this one is suitable, then, of course, persons are willing to invest in this one. So financing will be have a huge impact on this one. But saying this one, we could see that a number of global liner have even higher ambitions than IMO. They have announced target lines up to 2030 to be CO2 neutral. So therefore... Um my opinion is that ship owner and financing going hand in hand to be maybe faster than regulations are, which is really positive to say. Cargo owner, we must say, they are quite fragmented. And that is the reason uh, we have here seen this kind of consolidation in the market, that we have say 10 large global liner and Up to 70% of market share belongs to five. So there is no really large cargo owner who could influence uh, what kind of fuel will be used, but we could see that large logistic companies like Kühne and Nagel, they are grouping cargo and are paying an extra charge to be used green fuels. So in this part, uh, certain customers are willing to pay a higher fee in case their cargo will be transported on a liner company who using green fuels. So therefore, certain global liner are really showing in a transparent way. Yes, we have purchased so much green fuel. So therefore, the cargo owner certain have an influence. And therefore, we are believing that a transparent performance of a global liner will be in future a key element. So when a ship owner is clearly saying, look, I have transported, I, I just say, your washing machine from China to Europe, and this is a CO2 footprint, really transported on this and this vessel, then I think he has the largest benefit to ask for extra charge because he is a green one. And then it's getting much better to have a positive financial aspect to operate a green vessel. So, transparency is a good performance part. But there is one small uh, aspect, and we must say the CII regulations are certainly penalizing large container vessels. If you look about the CII curve Then if your dead weight is getting larger of the vessel, the requirement is getting more stringent and stringent. If you have the same transport volume, for example, from Asia to US, and you would transport this on the largest vessel whatever is be able, that is a 15,000 TU vessel, then the CRI ranking of this 15,000, it's much more difficult to reach as if you would use Two times at seven thousand. So the CII is not reflecting on the CO two f- footprint, for example, per TEU. It looks on the vessel itself. But economy of scale means the best, the largest ship, good loaded, is always better than two times small, especially on long distances. There the CI ranking for container ships maybe have to focus a little bit that this kind of economy of scale will be not penalized. In this moment, it is. Because even if you have the lowest fuel consumption per TEU, maybe your vessel is not the best CI performer. There is some hiccups. (laughs) You're pointing to something
0: important there, jan Olaf, and that, of course, is the issue that with the CII, we're using dead weight, and not actual cargo. And and there are historical reasons why we've ended up in that situation. It may be changed in the future, but it's going to take some uh, take some time to to, to to get there, to be honest, uh, with the decision processes being the way they are. Now, we, we've covered a lot of ground today, um, uh, really been diving into a lot of diverse issues, but... Uh, Keeping all of the preceding stuff that you've said in mind, do you have any specific advice or recommendations to container ship operators and the segment in general that you would want to make with respect to alternative fuels?
1: Um, the first one we would say the time of one fuel for a vessel or for a community is gone. So we would say each ship segment and trading area will find its fuel solution. So that means you're looking where will be my ship operated, and then I will targeting for the relevant fuel what I would like to use. In this regard, uh, you need a verification work, and there I would say uh, DNV is a really good partner to assist ship owner in this way to distinguish what is the best setup for a new building, or even if you want to go for a retrofit. Uh, what is the best economy way, uh, what kind of equipment needs to be exchanged, what could be converted, and we are even be able to verify the investment, what we have already be discussed. Because whatever you are doing in a later stage, you have a higher investment, and if there is a partner, a neutral partner, an impartial partner, who could verify that this investment is really be greener, then this is quite beneficial. So in, in, in total, I must say a lot of the ship owners have already this item in mind uh, about the right fuel selection. And in this part, I would say DNV is a one-stop provider for alternative fuels. Uh, and that is the best recommendation to a ship owner uh, to use this kind of knowledge which we have Thank you for that Jan-Olaf. It's been really great
0: to have this conversation with you and there are a lot of insights here. Um, I, I guess that in in addition to the key takeaways that you've just mentioned, I would just really also like to add a couple as seen from my side. Um, one of course is that container vessels or container operators are already looking to future-proof Uh, their ships. This is something we of course recommend all owners of all vessel types to start thinking about but future proofing is really key and we're talking future proofing under uncertainty obviously. Um, And and secondly, and I think this is a very important point, when we look at the future fuel mix, we do see that we are not looking at one alternative fuel that is going to be the universal solver of all our problems. These factors such as journey distance, load size, size of vessels, as, as well as more fundamental issues such as local availability of fuel will obviously influence what is suitable for different vessels. So with that, Jan-Olaf, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for making the time and really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for joining us for this episode. As a leader in alternative fuel technologies, it's interesting to hear the perspective of the container segment, which could give us some insight into how the space could develop in the coming years. Jan-Olaf spends a lot of his time working with container customers to understand their concerns and identify how best to deal with their challenges, so this has been a really valuable discussion. You've been listening to the Maritime Impact Podcast from DNB with me, Erik Nijus. This has been the last episode in this series, so I'd like to thank all our guests for giving their time to explore the specifics of their specialist areas. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or a review. We hope you'll join us for our next series. Thank you and goodbye for now.